0: Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, my man, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at alex underscore meacham meacham spelled m-e-a-c-h-a-m i'm on facebook and linkedin alex meacham i'm on snapchat at big meach 41 and soon to be on tiktok that's right now this is the special edition of the podcast my interview series with a very special guest
1: All right, Bearcat fans, I'm excited to welcome in this former Bearcat great who played from 1987 to 1991. He was recruited by and played for the late great Tony Yates and eventually played for Bob Huggins. We often talk about some of the greatest dunkers in Bearcat history, and many don't know that this guy is one of the greatest dunkers. But more than his dunks, he goes down as one of the most consistent players in Bearcat basketball history. You could always count on him to perform in games. I'd like to welcome in my guy, number 20, LaVertus Robinson. What up, Bert?
2: Hey,
1: Meech. It's it's an honor and a
3: privilege, man, to be on here talking to a gentleman that has done so much for the community um, in Ohio and also for the Bearcat family. So I thank you, sir, for having me on your program.
1: Oh, man, kind words, man. I appreciate that very much. Uh, how you been, man? What you been up to these days?
3: Well, me, you know, since um, finishing a, a, a pretty decent career over in Europe, um, playing about four to five years, I believe I did. I, I actually was back in Ohio for a couple of years working for the Cincinnati Recreation Commission, and we had a little <laughs> program that I was running for some of the um, from some of the elementary kids, where we were just trying to pick up on basketball and and teaching them some of the finer points that kind of never really got off the ground because of funding and, and stuff, within the, um, Cincinnati recreation commission. So I ended up, um, turning my journey back to Chicago where it all began and mm-hmm. got back into education in 2001. So, uh, pretty much my career has been kind of around education since 2001. I've been a, um, assistant teacher for special education, um, student teacher for special education. I've also, up for about four years, um, and additionally, I've done a lot of administrative work within the educational system.
4: Nice,
1: nice. And you're you're right there in Chicago, correct?
3: Yes, so I'm in Chicago now. Currently, um, I'm actually a district manager for security, um, and and you know that's been pretty much a prolific career for me um, in that in that area of field of education. It's, it's allowed me to touch so many kids and you know, and, and deal with so many different issues in um uh, within the educational system and also reach out to some of the African American, you know, community as well that, that's
4: mm-hmm.
3: probably forty percent of my school population. So it's mm-hmm. kinda it's kinda made me, you know, even though sports hasn't been a way that I've been able to reach kids, it's it's been another area that I've been able to reach them from a real life perspective and right. uh really have them, you know,
1: getting the education um foundation that they need to kinda achieve better. Now, do these do these kids and and the people you're around do they know what a great basketball player you were not only at your time with King High School but but also with the Bearcats?
3: <laughs> it, it's amazing that that you asked that question. And, and, and the uh, most of them that come into the school, yes. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, but there was a Proviso West Holiday Tournament that ran concurrently for the last 54 years. It's in it's in a um, suburb right out about 15 20 miles outside of Chicago, and about 10 years ago they announced their all-time um, all-American team, and believe it or not, I'm one of the all-time you know tournament team leaders that that's showcased wow. on on a wall in the school. So my picture's oh, wow. up there. And the kids come by and be like, Mr. Robinson, is that you?
4: And I'd be like, No, that's
3: that's that's a that's a younger guy. I don't know who that guy is. I can't identify with him. And then they and then they you know, it didn't they dig into my background and into my history and they'll come back and they'll be just so mesmerized that I don't even talk about that stuff anymore. You know, yeah. it's, it's not it's not something that I really repeat and, and talk about coming out of Chicago as a as a as a superstar, as a pre all American, you know, destined to be an all American and go on to a, to, you know, other universities that kind of offered me, you know, like Duke and Maryland all these teams were calling, but I ended up in the University of Cincinnati, which I thought yeah. for me was the best decision I ever made in my life, you know, playing for the University of Cincinnati. I mean, I, I wouldn't have had it any other
1: way, to be honest with you. And I and I want to I dive into that. I, I want to obviously get into your time in Chicago, and then I, I do want to talk about the recruiting process, how you ended up with the Bearcats. But a, a couple things before we, we get to that. Um, you wore number 20 when you played yes. for the Bearcats. Why yes. did you wear number 20? And I believe you wore that at a King, too, correct? Yes.
4: Okay, yes. why
1: did you, you wear number 20?
4: Okay, the, the
3: short story is um, I didn't start playing basketball until I was 13 years of age.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I I had never touched the ball um, my freshman year. And at King High School was the first year that I ever, you know, even – really played in the organized um, basketball. My brother, who was an outstanding player in Chicago um, at one of our local high schools, was was at Curie High School. He played against guys that you may not know of, but guys who played at Bradley, Loyola. One guy was um, Boise Winters, who averaged about 40 points as a a senior here in Chicago. He was a big-time player. And um, my brother actually wore number 20. So while watching the game, not understanding the game, I always emulated my brother and always, you know, looked up to him. And that was the number that I wanted to wear because he was doing some exciting things at six foot two with a thirty-seven inch vertical leap. You know, he wow. was doing some incredible stuff, and um, I, I wanted to have that. And, and if you give me one more second, I'm going to move it into the next level of, of what number twenty truly meant to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to dive in and, and say my recruiting um, with Coach J. Coach J. started recruiting me at the University of Illinois before he mm-hmm. even came to um um Cincinnati and, and, and got the job. He started recruiting me then. I was a sophomore I believe in in um high school and he began his recruiting of me. I learned that Coach Yates wore number twenty. Really? I learned that Coach Yates wore number twenty and Coach Yates asked me back when I was a sophomore what number would you wear if you came, you know, um to the University of Illinois and I told him twenty. So it was ironically when I got to when I got to Cincinnati. He says Flee, which is what they called me. Yeah. Says, "What number do you want?" <laughs> so, so I said, Coach J I I said, you know, we've been talking about this a long time. I'm, I I want number twenty. He said, Well, that's gonna be a problem. I said, Why is that? He said, Because you know that was my number and that number's retired. <laughs>
2: Oh, I said, wow. "Okay,
3: coach." I said, "Okay, coach." I said, "Well, I'll take whatever whatever number you give me because what do you what do you think I fit in at? He says, "You fit in 20." And mm. that's what you and that's what you're going to wear. And Coach Yates brought his number out of retirement so that I could wear it. And he knew the he knew where I came from and what I why I wanted to wear that number because of my brother and all the things that was happening in my life in, in life in Chicago. And Coach Yates sacrificed and and we don't get enough of that. And the reason why I lead into this story is because we don't get enough of that nowadays from men like Coach Yates who uh-huh. sacrificed. And I had to sideway into to my high school coach, which was Landon Cox, Coach Yates' best friend, coming up in Ohio. Uh-huh. Sacrificed everything. Uh-huh. We were we were a high school team that dressed the best, looked the best, traveled the best. You know, and he did everything out of sacrifice of his family and everything else, so that he can he can bring up young men that will be stand up young men and would put education first instead of basketball.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's what led
3: me into that with with Coach Yates because Coach Yates would always say, "Hey, you you here for your education? You know, whatever you do sideways from basketball is just an extension of that."
1: Now, Lavertis, of of all the interviews that I've done with former players, maybe thirty plus interviews. By far, hands down, that is the best reason or just explanation of why a player wore the number they wore. That was great. I totally, you know what? As much as I try to be a historian of UC basketball, I did not remember that Coach Yates wore number twenty. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a great story. Now, let me let me touch on your name real quick, Lavertis. Okay. Now, first of all, number one, you know how the name come about. Because it is a unique name, and, and two, just the fact that you could jump so high, invert was in your name, is just incredible as well.
3: You know, um, my name was was provided to me by my grandmother, who's my, my my father's mother. Uh, my father's name was LaVertus. He was a um, he was a he was my senior, of course, and mm-hmm. it was it was a play on the biblical term Leviticus, and. That's your how that came about and how she derived it. She was a very spiritual person and, you know, um there was there was so much going into my, my my grandmother came up during a time where of course there was, was slavery slavery and indentured service and there was mm-hmm. sharecropping. Mm-hmm. My grandmother was a was a sharecropper, um so was my grandfather who she ended up marrying later on. Um they were very spiritual persons so they felt like their first son was not the one that was going to be the total chosen one because he was pretty much grown up into an environment where he was spoiled and they wanted to protect him from everything. But the second son being my father who had to come in under the turmoil of 1941, uh, uh, you know, Pearl Harbor bombing after the Mm -hmm. end of a great depression, still slavery, still taking place. They felt fit to name him after a biblical scripture that they was reading in Leviticus. Mm -hmm. And that's where the name derives from. And um, it was passed down to me by my father, you know, who wanted me to to be a strong person. My father always told me, he said, son, the, your spirituality is your light, is your guiding principle. He said, I'm nothing but a steering wheel in your life. Whenever you get off the road or you get to shaking around the road, all I can do is steer you back on the path and set you straight.
4: Uh-huh.
3: So those are the things that was, was taught to me coming up. And, and I've always been a little bit indifferent in a lot of different angles and a lot of different areas. I wasn't a big hanging out guy. I wasn't a big, you know, I kind of found my way through life and did a lot of things different than a lot of other people. And, you know, sometimes it made me a cast out, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I really in, enjoyed um, my teammates, uh, the camaraderie we had in, in Cincinnati. Even though we were different in different areas and aspects of our lives, I was more open to to science and, and experiences, you know, with around me. So that kind of made me kind of a standoffish guy in some instances but most of all you know I was a young kid trying to uh figure out a new life
4: mm-hmm. especially
3: in Cincinnati. and
4: yeah. I did
3: yeah.
1: And, and um let me ask you can you still dunk
3: yes front oh, okay. back sideways um <laughs> yeah I can and, and, I'll, and I'll be 51 I'll be 51 this year
1: That was my next so, question how are you 15, yep
3: you know, and I can still dunk the basketball, um, but you know, I don't, I don't play as much. I've gotten a lot heavier. Um, I played at around two fifteen. Right now, it doesn't look like it, but I'm about two hundred and seventy pounds, which mm. is looking heavy. I still, I still retain a lot of muscle and a lot of, you know, uh, I don't have as much body fat, so I got a lot of muscle. But it, it's, I'm a heavy guy now, and, and people ask, "Man, you play football?" No, I played basketball. <laughs> And I
1: and I did
4: a pretty decent job at
1: it. You know? you know you know what's crazy, Bert, is when you know, I was a little kid, you remember I was a little kid running around yes. UC back in the day and yes. I remember the first time that I saw you. I had never seen anybody like that in person. Meaning, um, you know, your height, six foot six foot five, six foot six, you know, whatever you were at the time. Yes. Um just your your strength, your athleticism, and just seeing you in person, I had just never seen anybody like that. And the other thing, too, that that really stuck out was, man, you had the high-top fade going, man. And I was such a big fan of Big Daddy Kane and all the rappers from back then,
2: and the high-top
1: fade was like my favorite haircut. So here you are chiseled, so much athleticism, the high-top fade. I had just never seen Anybody like you before?
3: Well, well, well. Let's let me thank my teammates for the high top fade because I was really conservative when it came to um, haircuts back in the mm-hmm. day. You know, short haircut with a part in them. You know, on the side or in the middle. And mm-hmm. it was Louis. It was Louis Banks, the Easterner who came in from Camden, New
4: Jersey. <laughs> the barber. Actually
3: introduced me. Yes, and he was our barber, and he introduced me to the box. And he said, "Man, you would look." He said, "Man, let me just try this with you, and, and let me let me cut you down like this." And I said, "Okay, Lou, give give me a shot." And, and um, I actually saw one of my other idols who actually used to wear semi boxing that was Lynn Bias. Oh yeah. So yep. you know, and that's that's you know sort of like who I wanted to kind of be, you know, in a sense, and and I really had that Lynn Bias feel to a, to a um sort certain extent when it came to you know playing the game, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's, that's sort of like who who I kind of became in my game was sort of like a Lynn Bias, an in-betweener who could really elevate and who could really, sh- you know, shoot the mid-range shot. And, and, you know, I wasn't a long point, you know, long ball shooter, but I could, you know, right. uh, I could hang on with the best of them in, in some regards with that. So
1: No, for sure. Yeah. And, 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 and Vert, I, I decided to take this month, August, for the podcast to, you know, really talk to, the Chicago kind of Bearcat-based players, right? So I interviewed Romel Shorter, yes. um, Andre Tate. Wow. Uh, now you're now yourself. So you guys have pretty much been the entire month of, of August. And, you know, I also interviewed um, Lou Banks and Roger McClendon, who are from your era. But it's just been really cool to not only talk to the guys from Chicago, but your era. And I don't think – your guys' era is appreciated enough. And when, I, when I've when i been on Twitter and I've, you know, tweeted out, I'm, I'm talking to, you know, Andre Tate, Lou, yourself, there are a, a young group of Bearcat fans that have no idea who you guys are. And then the older Bearcat fans chime in like, oh, my Lord, like Vert was one of the best dunkers you've ever seen. And a lot of young people don't know that, but <clears throat> I'm glad to – to, you know, give you and Lou and Tate and Romel and Roger, all you guys, a platform to kind of tell your story. And people really appreciate um, what you guys have done, you know, not only at the University of Cincinnati, but also um, coming from Chicago, which I think is one of the basketball meccas of the United States. And I, I, I've said this before, New York gets so much credit for streetball and basketball, but Chicago is right there. With it, and I, I, I want to talk about your time in Chicago, uh, growing up, playing street ball, just hooping.
3: Wow, wow, wow! You, I mean, you, <laughs> you you said a lot, man, and um, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, we we have guys who who came up that that are have never really been mentioned in in the world of basketball. People like Mitchell J, you know, Anderson, who's a Utah coach now, who actually went to the old Metro High School. You you got people like um. Glen Doc Rivers from, you know, I mean, you, you this, this, the, the mecca of basketball and mm-hmm. the achievement of New Yorkers is no slight in that. But the rite of passage, if you ever, ever going to have a claiming right of who's the best and who produced the best players, you gotta come to Chicago. Mm,
1: talk to him, Vert.
2: <laughs> you got
3: talk to, to um, you got to come to Chicago. Tim Hardaway mm. from Chicago. Randy Brown from Chicago. Craig Hodges from Chicago. I, mm. I can go on. Terry Cummings from Chicago. Mark Aguirre from Chicago. Isaiah Thomas from Chicago, and and I can keep on and on and on with that. You know, and, and and um, not to mention or miss anyone, but we had the first actual All-American that went to my high school, Ephraim Winters, the first mm-hmm. McDonald's All-American back in 1982, 80, you know, somewhere around there. The mm. first McDonald's All-American was Ephraim Winters, he who he was a King, King Jaguar. And he Got was it. a phenomenal player who played at the University of Illinois, and um, he played under Lou Henson. K- Kenny Norman, the Snake mm-hmm. Man, Outstanding Clipper, Chicago, George Montgomery. I mean, I can go on and on and on, on. with the, with the Nick, list. Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson came out with me under a class, you know, we came out in 1986 with Kendall Gill, with, oh, my gosh.
2: My Kendall gosh. Yep. J.R.
3: J. R. Reed, Bill mm. Marcus, Robinson, Marcus, Marcus Liberty. Mm. And, and, you know, so this is, and I'm going to say this, I mean, I, I played against Tate. And Romeo was a teammate for, for two years with me. He graduated two years before I did. I was a you know, young kid coming in and, and Romeo showed me a lot of the pointers and stuff of, of really getting tough and being tough because we were in a tough conference. Playing against Andre Tate who was in the same conference at that time, Andre was an outstanding player. He didn't get to do coming out of the city because the city was so big.
2: Mm-hmm. And there were so many
3: other there were so many other players in his position that really got the notoriety, but if you look at the the numbers that Andre Tate put up at Kankakee Junior College and then coming to the University of Cincinnati, scoring five hundred points in a season, come on, man!
1: Yeah, no question. We,
3: we, we got some outstanding. Um, <laughs> we've got some outstanding players coming out of this city, and you know, I can, I could really go into a historical um, standpoint, but that's going to take too much time. That's a book. <laughs> but <laughs> that's that, that's a book.
1: Hey. I totally agree with you, and I've I've tried to say several times on this podcast, like, you know, how how Chicago basketball – you know who I throw in there, too, and and people will disagree with this, but I I think in some ways you have to put Michael Jordan in that. He didn't grow up in Chicago, but, man, he – when he started there as a young man and and, and leaving there, he is such a big part of Chicago as well. I put him in – I say Chicago raised michael jordan wasn't we, born there would yeah. you agree with that
3: i i would totally agree with that uh michael jordan used to play play in a neighborhood where i grew up at and it's called leclerc court leclerc court was the stomping ground for anybody trying to go to the nba the hmm. gym was only a 90 not even a 94 it was about 89 foot you know 89 foot court um it was a recreational court it wasn't a full-length you know regulated court and and any and everybody who came through from Tim Hardaway to Randy Brown and and all these other guys, Michael Finley even came over here. This was Antoine Walker's stepping grounds to where he developed and became who he was at Kentucky and on to Boston.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: if you couldn't come to LeClaire Courts, you got Scottie Pippins coming through here. You got Michael Jordan coming through here. You had Craig coming through here, Religious Terry Cummins, Isaiah. You name it. Everybody came to Leclerc Courts, which was the the mecca in the city when it came to that. Um, it was a pro-am, a little small pro-am gym. It was exclusive to most of the NBA standouts and the NBA wannabes. Mm-hmm. And you got a kid like myself being able to intermingle within that and see these players as I'm growing up as a kid. I'm playing with older guys, more experienced guys, guys who will shut me down before I could even put the ball on the floor. And, and this was kind of
4: <laughs> cultivated
3: my game. We, we had a guy named Tony Brown. His name was Anthony Brown. He graduated from Collins High School here in Chicago. He was a standout for the New Jersey Nets and and, and I believe the Philadelphia 76ers back in the day. He was about six foot five, and he had the, the most heated jump shot that you ever want to see in your life.
2: Mm-hmm. And, he was, and
3: he was a lockdown defender. And, and he's a Chicago guy that really doesn't get the notoriety because there's so many coming out of him. Mm-hmm. And when you say Jordan, as a, as a sophomore in college, well, as a freshman in high school, I'm sorry, getting ready to go to college, I had the distinct privilege to play with Michael Jordan on the Play-In Pro-Am tournament, Playboy magazine. And mm-hmm. it was probably the most the, the the best two years I ever had. Jordan came, and, and, you know, we would sit down, we would talk, we would play, he would have 67, I would have 40-something, and it would be like, wow, oh, wow. I'm on the court with Michael Jordan.
2: For sure. For sure. <laughs> and, and it's like
3: he, he was a constant player because when when he came in, I, I believe he already had the flair, but the toughness is what came out of him in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Because when, when you when you come and play in Chicago, you're going to get beat up. Yep. And he had to start having some of them pickup games with those guys that was going to beat him up, Kevin Duckworth, you know, Darren Guest, all these big kids, you know, played, you know, came out of Chicago. So, mm-hmm he did get his battleground tested to get ready for Detroit here in Chicago. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, yeah, go
1: ahead. I was going to say, I think it was such a blessing uh, for Michael Jordan to go to Chicago, to get drafted by the Bulls and end up in that city. I think Chicago was so important for his growth because it could have easily been a different situation where Michael Jordan could have gotten drafted by the trailblazers. And he ended up in Portland which would have been, you know, of course he's great and he would have ended up great, but the thing is, Portland plays on the West Coast. It's West Coast time. You know, some people don't get to watch West Coast games, but he's in Chicago. It's a big market. You got WGN, which is shown all across the country. I had, like, every Michael Jordan game on tape. He's, you know, like you're you're saying, he's going to play streetball with the streetball legend. There's just so much basketball. I think Chicago was very important to his, his growth as a player.
3: It it was. I mean it, it really was. I mean he came to the Central Division back in, in the days where, you know, the Eastern Conference was one of the toughest um oh. conferences to play in and also um you know, just the physicality of the game when Michael came. The mm-hmm. West the West game was not as physical as that right. central division game. So right. when he came in here too, that all of those things were elevation of his status. And he was already an outstanding talent. You know, seeing Michael Jordan back yeah. back when I was in high school, man, I was like, who the hell is this guy? And you know, what? <laughs> what how how can he do? How do he do those things? You know, and I, because I'm immature in the game, and watching mm-hmm. him, the things that he's doing, and I'm I'm seeing my brother play, and I'm like, my brother's outstanding, but then I'm looking at Michael Jordan and Lynn Bias, and I'm like, what the heck? Yeah,
4: I've he never is. seen anything <laughs> like this before. You
3: know, and and it's just amazing to. Michael has an amazing presence and I know you've met him and, and probably said mm-hmm. to him several times. He has an overwhelming, amazing presence.
1: Just yes, his silence.
3: Sure. His silence is like powerful, man.
1: For sure. That's a good so, way to put it.
3: He's always like even in even in his silence, he's you know, you know he's figuring out how can I win? <laughs> even for in this sure. conversation, how can I win? Yeah. I'm gonna tell you. I'll yeah. tell you a quick story. Yeah I um sure. I was I was for four for four years I was the the um head basketball operations guy for the for the city of Chicago. Um all of high I ran the high school basketball program, the elementary basketball, the girls basketball program. Michael Jordan's son's playing for Whitney Young, of course, so Mike mm-hmm. comes to a um he comes to a quarter final game that Whitney Young is playing in. So um I'm sitting at the table because I'm the director. You know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm big stuff. So Michael comes in. He, of course, he has the entourage. I already got it set up for him to be picked up and brought through the tunnel and everything else. So one of my teammates is sitting in behind me, and he says, um, he says, Mike, you remember, you remember Vert? And Mike says, who, who, who? He says, Sleep. He said, oh, sh-. you know, he jumps up, he turns around, he comes to the table. You know, when we stand up, we embrace. He was Like what up, boy smacks me on the butt like we playing a game. I'm like, oh man! <laughs> I'm
4: uh, like, but that was
3: like the highlight, man. Just, just the guy, you know, just somebody like Michael, who's touched so many lives, who has been so many different places, and for him to remember little old me.
4: Yeah, for sure. And
3: that man, come on, man! You that it doesn't get any better than that. You know what I'm saying? No, no so question. that mean, that means that I left an impact because when yeah. he saw me on the court as a 17 year old guy, and he was whizzing passes you know, past my head, you know, because I was, you know, I was just looking at him.
2: Uh-huh. But then he
3: saw some of the things that I was doing, taking off from the free throw line, vertical dunks, you know, and like, wow, look who the hell is this young kid? You right. know, and I was 16, 17 years old. Mm. You know, and he's like, who the hell is this guy?
4: With right, I right.
3: like that. He was like, young fella, you're going to be all right. That's yeah. the last thing I remember, you know. And um, after that, of course, I went and did my thing, and he was doing his thing, and it was over. But you yeah. know, uh, it was just a, it was just the highlight of my career as the head of basketball operations in Chicago for him to, you know, say, Hey, you don't remember Flea? And he's that's the name he remembered, Flea, not Lavert is Flea. And everybody is that name is synonymous in Chicago. If you call me Flea, you'd either play with me, played against me, or you grew
1: up with me. How'd you get that nickname, Flea?
3: I guess it was the forty six inch vertical leap I had as a sophomore <laughs> coming out of high school.
4: <laughs> who, so who gave it <laughs> to you?
3: That name came from a, a gentleman who actually taught me um how to play basketball. His name was um gosh. Um Bobby Harris.
4: Okay.
3: Bobby Harris was an outstanding um player as well. And he's one of the guys who actually showed me how to dunk the basketball. Huh. And he he said, man, you know, I was in eighth grade, actually, getting ready to go to high school. He, and that's what really, you know, my brother playing. And, and he said, man, you, you never played the I said, no, I never played before. He said he was, he was standing up and he was vertically dunking the basketball, left hand, right hand, left hand, right hand. He says, man, give it a shot. I took the ball and I go up and I, almost dunk it for the first time holding the you know, basketball in mean, eighth grade, almost dunked mm-hmm. the basketball. He said, man, you're going to be a fleet. You're going to have some hops. He said, because you ain't never tried to even jump before and you got up that high. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, and it's kind of stuck with me. He'd be like, Flea, 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 You know, and then everybody started calling me flea because my nickname was little Lee under my dad.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah. They
3: just, they took the Lee off and just made it a flea. <laughs> 'Cause because I was, gotcha. you know, cause I could jump pretty well. And, um, that stuck with me till this day, and everybody calls me Flea.
1: Still this day, till this day. Wow. At now, <laughs> yep. Now you're you're one of ten kids. Is that correct?
3: Yes, I'm one of ten kids. Um, I, I don't know if everybody was aware, but um, back in my junior year, my my sister was murdered in um, Atlanta, Georgia. So I dedicated my senior year. I used to wear my um, shoes would, would bear her name on the front and on the back. And also it was in honor, you know, of my sister, who was one of my strongest supporters. Oh, wow. I didn't and, know yeah, and my sister was, was a person that introduced me to flying on a plane, um, White Sox baseball, you know, first you know, hand-to-hand combat situation where I had to fight. It was my mm-hmm. sister who taught me all of this, you know, to protect myself and to be brave. Mm-hmm. To get on the Ferris wheel, not to be scared of roller coasters and stuff like that. It was my sister, so when when she, when I lost her, I, I got to throw one more name in there. You may I don't know if you remember this name, but there was a lady that was a secretary at at the office. Her name was Betsy Maidens. Betsy okay. Maidens. Yeah, Betsy Maidens was the person that embraced me. Nobody else really knew what was what was happening, but here I had um, Betsy Maidens when when she found out. She didn't say anything. She just looked into my eyes and she extended her arms.
4: Mm-hmm. And I
3: cried in her arms for, for almost an hour and she did not move. She did not bend. She did not break. After I cried, she had tissue. She had water. She had everything for me. And, you know, I, I thanked her for it. And every time she she saw me, we embraced and, and, and kissed. I, I lost contact with Betsy. I, I hope that, you know, um she's still around because i would love to see her again but i i have not in so many years Mm. and and that meant a lot to me um
1: no for sure
3: especially being how old were you at the time oh wow
4: 19 19
3: i think i was was 19 just had just turned 19 because i'm a you know my birthday comes in november Mm -hmm. so you know i'm a i'm a young buck because i got a late birthday and um yeah, it was. I was 19 years old at mm.
4: the time. either
3: yeah, 19 in 19, 19 or 18, if I'm not mistaken, because I I was 17, 18 when I got to the college campus.
1: And when you're when you're young and you're you're not only a college athlete, a college student, and then you have the you know your your sister being murdered. I mean, you need people to lean on. Um right. For her to extend her arms like that, um, <clears throat> you know, it's important. Cause you need somebody. Cause I'm sure you you didn't have your family around right at that moment. Cause you were. I, I didn't.
3: Yeah, I didn't have family. You know, and, and I, I guess you know you you got to deal with your your teammates and other people are dealing with their situation, with their families and their lifestyle, and um, you know, I, I needed that man. I, I needed that 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 just the person to know. Hey, I I got it. I Understand it. And yeah. and you're you're gonna be okay. And and just that one push of support you know, led me to a, a you know, a lot a lot of great things that I wanted to do. I dedicated myself. I said I, I am going to end up a thousand point score, you know, before my career is over. Mm-hmm. Um I did end up with thirteen hundred points, you know, something like that. I could have packed it in. I, I missed a lot of games through illness at the University of Cincinnati. Um I've overcome a lot man and, and that was that could have been one thing that could have taken me away from the game completely, but it didn't. It mm-hmm. transform it transformed me.
4: hmm
1: And it made Definitely.
3: me that much more determined.
1: And another thing too, um and I've spoken to Ramel and, and Tate about this, but you know, growing up in Chicago, the gangs were very, very heavy during that period. They still are today, but you know, especially back then, at that time, with the you know the black disciples and all, you know, we go on and on about the gangs. How did you navigate through that and, and not get caught up in that? First,
3: um let me just say, I was robbed at gunpoint. I was taking up my shoes, my jacket, my chain.
1: Um, wow. What what age?
3: I believe I was 13 years of age, and oh, I had just got to the university, I mean, not the university, but the, the King High School at that time, because I was a young book. I started school at, like, four years of age. I was kindergarten on through five, first grade, five years old, sixth grade, you know, second grade six years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I always try to identify with these stories, especially with the Scenarios that are crime, you know, that are taking place in Chicago right now, we're probably one of the, the, the second or uh, third largest city in the country, and we probably have the second or, or if not number one crime rate in in, the, in America as far as shootings. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's horrendous. But I, I'll just give you a little a quick snippet. Um, during that time as a 13-year-old who was trying to better his life and I get robbed and, and the bus driver had to take me home with no shoes on, no coat on, and it was the winter time. Damn. Okay, so the bus driver said, "Hey, I'm, I'm gonna take you all the way home, son, because, you know, I make sure you get home and get home safe." The next, the next day, there was an individual who was a gang leader who came up to my high school. He says, "Man, what did he look like? What bus were you on?" The very next day after that, I had all my stuff back. Wow. Now. Um, and the individual was told, "You better not touch anybody else on this route that's going to King High School." The gangs back in, in my day would tell you when it's getting it's getting ready to erupt and stay out of the way, because mm-hmm. if you do not, you're going you know you're going to end up a casualty.
2: Mm-hmm. And they also
3: wouldn't bother you if you were walking through their territory. Um, they wouldn't bother you because they would say, "Hey, that's that's the young fella. He's trying to do something with himself." Mhm. The dynamics of cultural differences have changed and evolved so vast that there's yeah. really there's really not leadership anymore. I've have n- sure. never seen Doan being in a gang or attempting to be in a gang but I'm going to say that there's been some gang bangers that have done some really amazing things with cultural differences and also with organization and leadership.
4: Mhm.
3: Had the leadership still existed in some of the gangs, you wouldn't see the hate and the violence that's taking place. Between you know these different factions, because they would come together in Chicago, which is I believe we we have the record of 130,000 gangs in the city alone. You know, That's crazy three hundred or three hundred thousand gang members, or some somewhere along there. It, it's an astronomical number. It's more yeah. than LA. It's more than New York. You know, we've got Latin kings, gangster disciples, conservative vice lords, vice lords. We've got maniac mm-hmm. Land, you know disciples you've got the new breeds. you got two six you've got you, you name it i mean i can go on and on and on you've got ld12 you got mk12 you got the tw- you got the 2016 beat down i mean you got a lot of different factions and i'm dealing with these in the in the high schools as well these kids are blocking the gangs
2: yeah. as a way
3: of acceptance because they can't get it now on our new social you know platforms that we have are all online
4: mm-hmm
3: so they don't get that interaction that's needed from family and from um, from true friends that are doing things. So what what do they do? They they go to the hangout, the areas where the bad stuff is going on because that's all that's really happening right now in, in the world.
4: Yeah, yeah. So,
3: so I commend you on all of the work that you're doing, and I see some of the things that you're doing with with the with the young kids. That's hard work. A lot of people don't know that 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 is that that's is different. a testament to who you are your dedication because it takes dedication and you doing that you have to give something
1: up yeah for sure thank you yeah no i appreciate that i think you you know vert you you said something um you know in, in terms of the gangs and as far as their you know evolution of of gangs and we've seen gangs change obviously chicago is a lot Different than than even Cincinnati or Ohio when it comes to gangs But one thing that I've seen and just working with young people is it seemed like back in the day There was a street code code and there were leaders of those particular gangs and there was a code now There's just so many factions you've got one Let's say one gang and there's nine gangs within that one gang the leaders are all fighting each other and it just becomes a mess and then there's no street code. And, you know, yeah. I deal, I I've dealt with, you know, I did a community service activity here in Cincinnati in which I dealt with a lot of kids that were either in gangs or just recently got out of gangs and, and played basketball. And one day I come into the gym and one kid comes in gun in his hand and he sits down yeah. and he's putting on his shoes and I'm like whoa. And he's like, yes. he's like, coach, this is he's like, don't get alarmed. He's like, I have to have this because people are after me. Right. He's like, I have to and I'm like, man, you can't be in here with this. And it's just so it's just, it's wild. And, and but but I think the great thing and I'm going to segue into this. The great thing is for some of those kids that I dealt with kids like yourself at that age and others, um, basketball has been a great vehicle to steer Young people away from that, and and do something great for themselves. You
3: know, it, it's really the it really became the environment here in Chicago. The way out was through sports. Sports has impacted kids in so many different ways, because it actually gave a disenfranchised people something to do.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Edu- education disparity within the inner cities, and 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 you know some areas, education is not as as good. There's been pilot program that had taken place where we've had kids come from the inner city who were, were scholars and they would go out to the suburban and the, the curriculum was so much different that they were average students out there.
4: Mm-hmm. So you, you
3: can't deflect those numbers. So the way out for most of these guys and, and you know, most of these kids was to dream and inspire that they were going to be an NBA player or, or play on the collegiate level, yeah. you know, and, and those are things that have been really important and how it has impacted you know, a lot of the kids coming out of the inner cities, you know, it gives them something to do. And that's, that's the the biggest part. Now, does it equate to success? Most of the time we've got individuals like Teddy Grubbs. You can go look up this name. Teddy Grubbs was an outstanding player and he played at DePaul. He got into some troubles. He's been homeless on the streets now for over 30 years. Jeez. Um you know, nobody reached back to say, "Hey, Teddy, we want to help you. We want to do this. We want to do that." It, it just never happened,
2: mm-hmm. and
3: and some some people get caught up in this was their dream, and they never have another direction reach.
4: Mm-hmm. You,
3: you know, and I was always taught, man, you got to have many multiple directions. You got to have you got to figure out what you're gonna do first, second, third, and fourth, and then fifth,
4: <laughs> because yep. if
3: you don't. If if I didn't meet, I would have came back to the states, still trying to be in the NBA, still trying to play for the World Basketball League, still still trying to play for the CBA. But when I was done, I was done. Yeah, I wasn't looking for that hoop line anymore. I was looking to move on in my life and and accept the accolades that I've achieved and the impressions that I've left. I've, I you know I accept all that, but I can move past that.
1: Mm hmm. And what you just said there and I I was going to save this for the end of the end of the podcast later on, but one of the things that I've told coach Brandon, who's the new head coach for the Bearcats is to bring former players like yourself who have, I think every former player has a different message because they have a different path and a different journey. What you just said right now would be powerful for the current players to hear. Because all of them have visions of professional, whether it's MBA overseas, whatever it is. But what's the plan after that? To to hear that from a guy like you, look at your resume, the accolades, it would really resonate with those young people right now that are playing for the Bears. Yes.
3: Yes. yes. It's It's all it's all important. I mean, those things are so important because you know. I know that has come a long way. I know that, you know, people bounce back from different things, but the one thing that you can't bounce back from is when you don't have a plan.
4: Yeah. If you
3: never have a plan, what is there to bounce back from? Mhm. So you have to you have to put that plan in place. What if what if? You always gotta ask yourself, what if I don't yep. make? Yeah. What if yep. what if I get injured? And and you know my I don't know if you know my history, but you know, I survived a a stroke in college, I survived a, a explosive appendectomy that, that actually burst in, with inside of me. I experienced 107 fever and, you know, you name it. Yeah. And within two weeks, I was back on the on the planes, you know, on the court playing. Uh-huh. So you got to understand, when, when they told me after the stroke that I had a pinhole size, you know, hole in my heart and that I was going to have to crack my chest open and fix this in order to play, I said, no, my career is over. I'm done.
4: (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
3: Because you're not getting ready to crack my chest open just so I can play basketball. I got to figure out what else I can do. Yeah. I was ready to give it all up. And then there's a a specialist came in and said, no, we've experienced this before. We need you to keep your blood thin, take an aspirin a day, and then, you know, we we pray when you follow back up with us within five, ten years as you finish completed growing that this hole would have closed up. And that's exactly what happened. Oh, so good. you know, but I was ready to. I was ready. I was ready. I was like, okay, no, you got I'm not gonna crack my chest open. I'm done then. Yeah. Huggins, Huggins was sitting there looking at me. I said, yeah, man, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm finished. <laughs> no, no, don't be hasty, Lavertis. Just, just wait. That we gonna bring somebody else. Whatever, man. I don't care. I'm done. I'm. Like, yeah. He's not cracking my chest open. Right. <laughs> no. No.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I do want to dive into that when we talk about your your, your Bearcat career. But I think you just said something. You talk about having that plan, okay? Yes. And so let's. I want. I do want to dive into your time at Kings High School, and, sure. and to really look at that. You guys, I think your senior year, you guys were thirty-two and one. Yes. Once you know the the Class AA championship, yes. number three ranked team in the country. You averaged twenty-four and fourteen on one of the best teams in the country. What type of high school basketball player were you? Woo, mediocre. <laughs> right,
4: uh, well, uh, let, let, let me say I this. I was <laughs> <laughs> This is what I'm going to say to
3: you. The mm-hmm. people I, I looked up, you know, me and Nick Anderson followed each other, Nick. Really thought that I was exciting. He came to every game where they when they wasn't playing. Nick was at my games. Mm-hmm. Whenever I wasn't playing, I was at Nick's games.
4: Mm-hmm. We
3: we we really followed each other. And the reason why he was following each each other because he knew that you're going to meet me, brother. When it comes time for the state champ for the city championship, and also you know you're going to meet me. And mm-hmm. and he, he followed. We walked, We followed each other. We watched each other. I thought he was probably the best player that I, I had seen ever. And then uh, you know, Marcus, my teammate, was was wow. Was you know, and then Kendall Gill playing against him for the for the for the state championship that year. You know, it was it was tremendous. I never saw myself as this player that everybody viewed me as.
4: Mm-hmm. I
3: viewed myself as a guy that, that wanted to learn to play the game better and I went out and I played hard every day. Yeah. That's how I played the game. Even mm-hmm. when I got to college, I played hard. I played injured, no question. I played early. You know, and and that's just how the game flowed for me. I I never really looked at it as being a standout. But now, just to say, when I went to certain places and then the response that I got of walking in the gym, you know, going to the YVI League in Kenwood, going to, you know, Chicago State NBA Pro-Am, I'm not even a pro yet. And you hear people, that's Laverse Robinson, that's Laverse Robinson, that's Laverse Robinson, that's Laverse Robinson right there, y'all. The mm-hmm. verse is going to be at tonight. night. You know, to hear your name, you are you're in high school and your name's on the radio. Come see birds Robinson, Michael Jordan, Craig Hodges, and they're going to be at at you know the YVI League. And you're like, what? And my what? mother looking, at me like, <laughs> my mother looking like, son, you okay? I'm like, yeah. I've always been a grounded. I've never had the, as they say, the, the lopsided big head.
4: Mm-hmm. You know, yep. I've always been
3: grounded. My career at, at King was predicated based on. I knew what the hierarchy is and the players that were there before me, what they deserved and, and what they what they wanted to accomplish. That was left up to them, and I was just a teammate to try to see that through and make it happen.
4: Mm-hmm. So it's
3: just it's just like being a Bearcat, and I'm I'm, I'm a kind of probably I don't want to mess up where you're at with this with just speaking about King, but I got a side way into said way into Bearcat because sure. what I did with the Bearcat team was I could score points, but we needed somebody to play defense and get rebounds. Yep. We also needed somebody to block a few shots every now and then. Yep. We, need, we needed somebody to do the grunt work. Now, why would I have to be selfish and want to score the same as many points as Lou Banks?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Why would I want to be selfish and, and handle the ball like Andre Tate? I wasn't a ball handler. I had mm-hmm. to. I had to play my role in this in this team. I had to be mm-hmm. the in-between man. When it was time for me to score points, I could score points. When it wasn't time mm-hmm. for me to score points, I didn't worry about it. And here I go at the end of my career with thirteen hundred points, point, plus points. Yep. Yep. I don't know. I, all I know is I played the game and, and and in high school, being a standout, being chosen for the Dapper Dan, and there was another couple All American I don't. I was season with the All American cap because there really wasn't a prevalent one at the time.
4: Mm-hmm. The
3: prevalent one at the time was the Dapper Dan, but that year the All American they got more funding from McDonald's and a couple other you know uh, sources. So they pulled all of the players away. And I was up with Michael Christian, J.R. Reed and a couple other people playing in the Dapper Dan tournament. J.R. Reed played in both. And um it was it was just a different setting for me, you know, um, with that time. I, I never saw myself as this outstanding player. But when I played against, you know, people, um, they was like they knew who I was and I was I was I was amazed.
4: Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I wanna say Bert, I want to say something about your you know your your career even with the Bearcats um and, and back the King you you were consistent and I said this at the start you're one of the most consistent players in UC history like the value you bring to a team of consistency you can count on Bert getting 14 points 7 8 rebounds a game no ego involved you don't see that a lot today
3: Yes, you, you don't you you don't see a lot of humility and a lot of humbleness in today's
4: yeah life. Mm-hmm.
3: because it, it's you know it's, it's we got the old old proverbial that we would say it's time to go see the wizard for some players
4: mm-hmm you
3: know, because you're the tin man and you need a heart
4: <laughs> you want to be
3: tough but you don't have that heart I've right. never had to to try to prove that I've had heart I I got, I got that lesson taught to me by trying to guard Purvis Ellison and Felton Spencer at seven foot and I was only six five.
1: Mhm. Yep. So you I you know <laughs> the days, man.
3: Yeah. I mean you know, I had to I had wars with them guys at six foot five.
1: Mm-hmm. And I held
3: my own and that, and that's all I can do. I could never, you know, try to do anything I couldn't be who I was not.
1: Right. Right.
3: And and that's that's what I brought to teams and and that's what I brought, you know, it it wasn't it didn't bother me not being the captain. It didn't bother me not being, you know, the the person that that scored all the points the game before. You know, it didn't – That none of that bothered me. I'd go back to my room. I'd plan out for the next game, and I would try to get some studying done, and then I would, you know, go to practice. That's, that's it.
1: And if you, you look know? today, in 2020, if you look today at the college players and what they call now, which is obviously, you know, a newer thing, the transfer portal, you know, you have almost 50%. It, it will be 50% of college players are, like, in this transfer portal which is unbelievable which ties back to what you're talking about like if if some kids today you know if you're saying hey your whole career you're going to get 13 points a game seven rebounds you're not going to be the captain blah 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 you know you came out of whatever high school 32 and one state champion 24 and 14 they're going to want to be the campaign, uh captain leading score if not i'm in the transfer portal i'm out of here
3: you know, I've always talked about that. Even even when I was um, a player, um, they tried to get me to transfer to I think it was North Carolina or or something, or Duke, which was you know. And I was at Cincinnati. I think when when Yates didn't work out, and, and then it was they were bringing in Huggins. Um, everybody was was talking about, man, I'm leaving. I'm I'm, I'm transferring. I'm doing this. Yep. My my high school coach called me. And he says, "Son," he said, "I want to talk to you." He said, "Because I'm hearing some things," and he said, "I know I talked to you, and and I think that I I taught you better than that to make a, a rash decision." He said, "I've always told you, and so have Coach Yates told you. You didn't go there to play basketball, so why would you transfer to another school just to play basketball?
4: Mm-hmm. Stay
3: there and get your education." I said, "Well, Coach, you know that's not me. I ain't never talked about going nowhere. I'm not going anywhere." <laughs> I said I'm a Bearcat. I'm here for life. I said I'm not going anywhere. coach I said, he said, well, I thought that's what you were going to say to me." But you but you do have those players who feel like people control their life. Let me just let you know how it, kind of how it plays out.
4: Okay.
3: Sometimes when players go to different different areas, it's because that's where they either their parents wanted them to go or that's where their coach led them to. They always have aspired or, or, or aspirations to go to play for a Duke or Illinois or, or Illinois State or de paul or even the gonzaga so when they end up and they get the opportunity to go they make a bad decision because they mm-hmm. leave and for some it's not a bad decision because their career ends up spikes and they, spiking and they end up doing better and they end up going off to have successful careers after that i i think that the transfer culture now is just based on being seen and, mm-hmm. and wanting to be the best player and being a part of the best teams and you know it it's it's Kind of transformed into what we what we're seeing now. We're seeing a lot with the um, with the with the clubs and stuff that that plays in, in Chicago and all across the country. You know, you see one good player on that team, and all the rest of the followers, mm-hmm. and, and then there's one that's being deemed as the Messiah. You know, I, I don't I don't like that because it doesn't allow those other players on those teams to really develop.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but
3: they get a but they get a shot. They still get a shot because they've been a part of that. They've been a part of that club, you know, so they still get a shot and and that's and that's why our our leagues in the NBA and everything has become such a watered down version. We got some very talented gentlemen that plays in the NBA and
1: No question. And but the
3: game is so different.
1: It is very different.
3: Wow. Very different. Yeah. Now I'm going to give you a quick history lesson. The Eurostep did not come from Europe. The Euro step is from NBA. You used back in the fifties.
1: You, mm, you okay, the break this down for me.
3: Now, when I went to Europe, and the game that I played, I you know once I developed some guard skills, I became a guard in Europe. I was I played guard in Europe, but I was more <laughs> of a high impact. I was a high impact. You know, I was a scorer, and I was still an elevator. I could still I could still jump. So mm-hmm. I was I was not captured as a great player in europe but now the player that i was in europe is how europe plays <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now how europe was is now how the nba plays mm.
4: interesting it's
3: it's, uh, it, it's just a you know there was just a complete shift and i was you know and people say man well you just i i still got some of the greek you know my greek teammates and and also my uh, teammates in Israel and several other places, they call and reach out to me and say, man, you were ahead of your time. Because mm-hmm. that's how they – we always say, that's how they play now. Well, the yeah. that, you know, he, and we play like this now, you know. And I said, yeah. I said, well, I, I'm sorry I was ahead of my time. I was a dunker. I was a flashy <laughs> player. I was exciting, you know. I played against some very good talent out there in Europe. I even played against Kuko, Zarko, Al. I played against um the former coach of the, the Bulls. I can't remember his name, but he played – at North Carolina State for the legendary coach, Vinny um, Testaverde. Uh-huh. And, and several, I played against so many good players out there in Europe, and, and they were just mesmerized. You know, Tony Kukos is a player that I played against, and he was a big-time scorer at 6'11", of course.
2: Yep.
1: And we
3: played against him at Benetton Treviso. He comes up to me and he says, man, where are you from? I said, I'm from Chicago. He said, no, 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 where you play? You know, college. You know, where you... I said, I played in Cincinnati. Oh. Uh-huh. You know, he's like, "Wow, okay, University that we really wasn't on the you know map at the time." But he, Kenny right. was coming in, and Danny was there, and you know, mm-hmm. I think it was Antonio before Danny. I'm I'm not my old age is getting me, but both of them guys were outstanding. Danny Fortune, when I saw him, wow,
4: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who actually mm-hmm. played with
3: one of my teammates at Pittsburgh. <laughs> and so, so you know, um, it, it was just it was just amazing. Mm-hmm. to see Danny, you know, and, and it was just like, are you kidding me? And yeah. when I saw this kid and then Kenyon, Kenyon was a, when I saw Kenyon, I said, Kenyon can block some shots like a mug. So when yeah. he came out, the last <laughs> player of the year scoring, I was like, man, I was flo- – I was like, wow. Now, now, Kenyon and I, we played in this – I forget the summer league we played in, but it was in the old field house. And I went up one time and he used to try to block the shots and I dunked it backwards. And everybody was like, "See, we told you."
4: <laughs>
3: and Kenyon looked at me. He was like, "You." He was like, "Oh, okay." But see, Kenyon got better every year, every,
1: man. Every single, and I was there for that process every wow. single year. His determination wow. to be a pro was yes. was unbelievable. But you know, you know what, Bert, I will say this about Kenyon. Um and and this this goes to I think some of the great great players. Um, Kenyon wanted to win, first and foremost. Beyond anything, he wanted to win the basketball game. He didn't care if he was the leading blocker, the leading point person, whatever rebounder, whatever it took at a high level to win, he wanted to win. He knew, kind of like the Michael Jordans, the Magics, the Zayas, those guys, they know when you win, all the other accolades will follow. Don't worry about the stats, and that's one thing. I, I mean, I I I was a roommate with you know Kenyon my last year on the road, yes. and consistently, it was just talking about winning, winning conference, you know, tournament, conference, regular season championship, NCAA. It wasn't. I need twenty and twenty to get to the league. He, I don't, I don't ever remember him talking about stats. So he was. Kenyon's definitely, definitely. Special player, one of the greatest players that I ever played with for sure. Yeah, yeah,
4: he, me, he was outstanding.
1: Let me ask you this quick question. So sure. we, we talk about your consistent play and just, I, I think, you know, your mentality. How much of that comes from uh, Coach Sonny Cox?
4: Woo, wow, man.
3: Um, I would say about 80% of that comes from Coach Cox, mm. 80% mm. of that. And then I had a mom that, that you know, I was raised – you know, my mother raised me, and then I had a mom that was responsible for the rest, all the responsibility mm-hmm. parts, and, and being responsible. Um, coach had an old saying that I can't say on the podcast, I believe, but um, it was it was really. No, you can,
1: hey, you can say whatever you want. Okay. Go ahead. Well, well,
3: well, coach Coach would always say he, he would always say, "Flee! You got a, a forty plus inch vertical leap." He said, "So when you get on the the court, all I want to see is asses and elbows above the rim."
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would go out
3: on, and I would go out on the, you know, on the court, and guess what? Literally, I would try to put asses and elbows above the
4: rim. <laughs> and
3: and he he would always he would always say say, you have to stay consistent, Lavertis. And did you study tonight? You have to stay consistent, Lavertis. And did right. you study tonight? You have to stay consistent, Lavertis. And did you study tonight? So, he also Coach Tox was also that guy that said, well. You got an hour and fifteen minute bus ride every morning. That's how long it took me to get to school from my from my home. Wow. I'm coming. To, I'm coming to pick you up. And he would be out in front of the house, bum 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 bum, the old three Stooges horn, <laughs> <laughs> bum 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 bum, bum, bum. Right, right. He would be out there Every morning on time. Let's go. And not only would he do it for me, he would do it for his other players who wasn't as you know, as talented mm-hmm. as I was or as, as respected as I was. He would do it for all. Yeah. So, so when we are talking about instilling the, some of those hard values and, and consistency, and, and just just being, you know, um, not just being respected when you when you leave the court, just being mm-hmm. respected when you're done with the game. He always said, "This is what he always said." He said, "Son, they can say whatever they want to say about you, but when it goes into the record books, ain't nothing they can change."
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. And I, and I like you. You tell the stories about Coach Cox, and I, I've just heard from so many people, whether it was Romel or and even Andre Tate, spoke about him. So many people in that area, or just in the basketball community, speak so highly of uh, Sonny Cox. And the, the 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 crazy tie-in is the fact that he was born in Cincinnati, Ohio.
3: Correct. Right?
1: And he moved yes. to Chicago to be a jazz musician.
3: Yes, he was. He and he, was had, small...
1: yeah. he had. Yeah. He has three albums. Yes. <laughs> That is just crazy.
3: Yes, he was—he was an was accomplished along the the the, um, the jazz circuit in Ohio. He was an accomplished jazz musician. Um, mm-hmm. You had people like Simon V. Anderson, you know, which was our Absolutely. music teacher. Yep, hounded me up and down and actually helped me with an A grade to get in touch with Coach. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, of That's course, I good. did that. He he says, um, he said, "Levert, I got to ask you a question." He brought me in his office. he said, like, I got to ask you a question. He says, um, you played for a guy. His name was Landon Cox, right? I said, yeah. I said, that was my high school coach. He said, do they call him Sonny? I said, yeah, they call him Sonny Cox. He said, I want to meet him. I want to talk to him. I want to see him. I said, well, I'm going to take a picture of the mural that they have of Coach Cox. They had a mural of him with his eye patch on and, and, the, and the horn in his mouth and everything else. I took that picture and I gave it to um um, um Mr. you know, Anderson at the okay. time, and and he, and he says, "Um, I appreciate that." But then, I called up Coach on the phone in his office and gave him the phone. And I'm gonna tell you what—I've never seen the, a man's eyes light up as big as they did. He he, <laughs> he, he went in on Coach and he mm-hmm. said "I have been looking for you." He said, "You were the next best thing next to Charlie Bird Parker," and I didn't even—I didn't even know all this stuff about my coach.
4: Mm-hmm. I didn't know mm-hmm.
3: this stuff about how. How accomplished he was as a musician! How accomplished he was as a you know. He even played baseball for DePaul University.
1: Mm. That so was his he, first love, his first love was baseball, right? I've always his first love was he
3: baseball. Was a, he was a yeah. baseball coach.
2: Yep. yep. But yep.
3: but the organization and the instruments in his brain, he, he he brought things together and connected them so well. You know, it was just like every note that he blew. He wanted to. He wanted to hit that perfect note. So it transformed him when he got into basketball because he wanted the perfect team. I'm here to tell you, and as a testimony, that we're probably the only team that could run a fast break that the ball never even touched the floor.
1: Yeah, yeah. From the yep.
3: rebound to the last pass, the ball never touched the floor whenever we ran a fast break. And we either mm. ended up in a layup or a dunk.
1: And it was probably you dunking it. Yep.
3: Pretty <laughs> much.
4: <laughs> so, you
3: know, to, to say that about him, what he instilled in me, and, you know, all these, these values that come from from team camaraderie, he used to tell me, he said, son, when you get on the court, it ain't nothing but math. You got angles, feet projections, you can you can multiply, you can subtract with your fouls when you're going to be sitting on the bench. He said, you got to look at the game the way it is in life. Yep, It's an education on the floor. Either you're going to mm-hmm. get up or you're going to get beat up whichever one you want to choose is how it's going to happen for you. So I think you need to start learning how to beat people up instead of getting beat up. <laughs> <laughs> and
4: then mean, what, that's
1: a, it. what a treasure that, you know, especially for the Chicago community. A guy, and everyone I talk to about Coach Cox says, you know, very similar things to what you're saying, just the life lessons um uh, which, you know, and and I do the same thing with with my program that Yes, we're teaching basketball, but we're teaching life lessons. More importantly, because you can only play for so long, you got to have right. a backup plan, like you said. But right. there's somebody I want to I want to mention real quick. You mentioned Simon sure. Anderson, and for those that are listening to the podcast that don't know, um, Dr. Simon Anderson was a longtime professor at the University of Cincinnati. He passed away yes. uh, some years back. Um, he was very instrumental um, for, for those that are you know like a little bit of a nugget of. of Of uh, kind of UC sports history Um, dr. Anderson was one of the first professors at the university that walked over to the uh, athletic department and said how can I help I know these athletes have a rigorous schedule you know they miss classes sometimes how can I how can I help you know and and he was the first one to ever do I think there's a scholarship named after him in the athletic department because of that and Dr. Anderson, and people can Google this on the internet. In this area, it was the leading the leading person when it came to jazz music. Like, if you wanted to know the history of jazz, yes. you went to see Dr. Anderson. That's right. That's and right. He, and he loved hoops.
3: That's right. He he loved hoops. And Dr. Anderson, for all intents and purposes, loved people. Oh, for I sure. mean, anybody that came through his doors. If they had a story to tell or a story to, to listen to from him, he lit up.
2: He yep. enjoyed
3: doing it. He would he would call me and say, LaVertus, I need you to meet me at CCM, huh?" Now, Doctor, yes, right now. And he and he would he would introduce <laughs> me into big band. They would have a a big band mm-hmm. concert going on, and guess what? I love it. I yep. loved it.
1: Yep. And he'd yep. sit
3: there. He'd be tapping and he'd be clapping, and you know, and I'd be like, "What's <laughs> this man?" wow and then he would tell me laverta if you don't get this note you're not gonna pass my class Mm. and guess what i wouldn't pass his class And then he would say then he would say i might give you an incomplete but if you meet me over here and you go to these two jazz concerts and then you do this you you come back and you take this test then i'm gonna help you
4: Mm -hmm. and he would
3: he would do it man i mean he would say i know y'all just came off the road it doesn't matter you still got to you still got to complete my course you 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 can't just play basketball and do yeah. everything that's required of you there and then come to music and not do what's required. And my passion is just as great as yours mm-hmm. he was he was outstanding, and like you said, I got to give it to him because yes, he said, I want to know what I can do to help and he mm-hmm. didn't he didn't just say it, it was his actions every day. mhm, it's a great guy, that's all I can say what a great guy.
1: No, no, no question. No next question. Next to your
3: father, next to your father, he was probably one of my favorites. Your dad was outstanding too. So we we can't, you know, I don't know why we sit up here talking because your dad was an instrumental part of everything that happened at UC and education, and and, and just making sure that people were were doing what they supposed to do and in the right spots and in the right positions and and being responsible, teaching us how to do the interviews correctly. How mm-hmm. you know, having annunciation coaches that comes in before we have interviews. All of those things. He probably don't even remember half of the stuff he did because he did so
1: much. Yeah, well, thank you so much. No, I I really appreciate that. And I I noticed that as a young kid coming around, you know, the basketball, the football teams um, at UC and just seeing all these players, they would always run over to my dad. And I'm like, why are they doing that? You know, why are they doing that? And later on I learned that it was because, you know, he was helping other people. He always (laughs) was trying to help. And I I always try to – put that in my life and i know you're doing that you're helping other people
4: i
3: ain't gonna tell you how he helped me so i'm gonna leave that alone <laughs> <laughs> okay. a, so, that, that's <laughs> for a book that's that's a book that me and you'll do and, and we'll do discuss that we'll discuss that outside of the podcast <laughs> i'm
1: with that i am all about that now, now let's that's a great segue to you end up um at the university of cincinnati but You were recruited by some, you know, high-level schools. Who were some of the schools that recruited you, and why did you choose the Bearcats?
3: Wow. um, Oklahoma, Maryland, uh, Illinois, of course. Um, Man, Duke, North Carolina. You know, I, I don't know. Let me just say this. My high school coach would only give me letters of where he felt was was best for me to go. Mm-hmm. Most of the other letters, as I find out down the the, the um, as I progress through my career, he finally came out and gave me letters. I got a letter from every school school in the country. Wow! Just to put it mildly, uh, I even had Hawaii, who I turned down unanimously, unanimously because I I said to him, I said, man, y'all have hurricanes in Hawaii, and the guys, <laughs> the, coach, the coach said, <laughs> the coach said. He said, LaBerge, what if I tell you we haven't had a hurricane in 50 years? Mm. I said, well, you know what, Coach? I said, it's about time for one then, ain't it? So that was no way way I was going to Hawaii. And then exactly the following year, had a hurricane. So, you know, I was like, okay, I I was right. So um, I was recruited by a lot of, you know, even Indiana, Bob Knight, he was more interested in markets, but he also was interested in me but Bob Knight would come and sit at our little cracker box gym just to watch us play. You know, so a lot, a lot of teams were really interested. And I got a chance to meet a lot of, um, a lot of great coaches, man. And, and it was, it was tremendous. Um, you know, at that time I really didn't understand the importance of it all. The only thing I was worried about was, was, you know, like just going to school and being able to go to college, being the first person to make it out of my family and mm-hmm. go to college,
1: Yeah, you
3: know, and go to a major university and and I I never really thought about, you know, I, I didn't know the hoopla around Duke or, or, you know, I knew the players, but I didn't know what the hoopla was or going to Duke. And, yeah. if, and I look back on it, it's all about, okay, I'm going to Duke to play basketball. I'm going here to play basketball. And it wasn't about that for me, you know. It was just about going to get a college education and doing something that I learned how to do and I enjoyed doing, you know, for those many years.
1: Mhm. Yep. And and so, so choosing, you know, Cincinnati, what okay. what would what would you say was the, the, the biggest reason? Like what put it over the top that I've gotta go play for the Bearcats? <sighs> coach Yates. Mm.
2: Coach
1: Cox.
3: Um, coach Yates and I, I'm I'm trying to remember who the other I, I believe it was um, Coach Dudley. hmm yep. I
4: don't
3: know if you know Coach Dudley. Yep. They came to my house, uh, and I think it was, was my junior year, they came to my house. Yates was his second year coaching. And they came to my house, and they, they they sat down on the couch as if they belonged there. They talked to my mother as if they had talked to her before.
4: Coach mm-hmm.
3: so Dudley got up and embraced my mom and embraced me and was like he looked at me, and he says, um, there's so many different universities that you can go to. He said, but I'm going to tell you something. We're building a program in Cincinnati, and we need people like you. And I said to him, what the hell does that mean, people like me? He says, good players and great people with personalities. That was mm-hmm. Coach Dutton who said that.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: I and I looked at him, and I said, well, I said, you know, I said, am I going to be able to really contribute to the team? And he says, Lavertis, I, I guarantee you 100 percent that you're going to contribute to this team," he said. And he said, "Let me tell you something else. If you're worried about who you're going to play against, we're in the Metro Conference. We play against Virginia Tech. We play against Memphis State. We play yep. against Southern Mississippi. We play against Louisville, Kentucky. We play. I mean, he said, he went on and on and on. And, mm-hmm. and he said, and he said, Louisville is probably going to win the national title within a year or so. So you're going to be coming to a contender. And mm-hmm. then Yates stood up and said, and we know you to flee.
4: And that's all he said. <laughs> that's
3: all he said. He said, we know you to flee, so you know you're going to be outstanding.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: him and Coach, Coach Cox were great friends, of course.
4: Mm-hmm. So Coach yeah.
3: Cox brought me into his office the very next month, and I signed in my junior year my letter of intent, so I didn't have to go through it in my senior year. And he says, "He says, son, which you always called me, I want you to go to Cincinnati. And I said, well, Coach, I, I said, I had a good, you know, had a good, you know, meet when they came to visit. I had a good visit with him. He said, I want you to go to Cincinnati. He said, let me tell you why. He said, I don't trust anybody else the way I trust Coach Yates.
4: Mm. Do what
3: that needs to, to, to provide for you an education and to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do. I don't trust anybody else.
4: Mm.
3: He said, it doesn't matter. He said, doesn't matter what your record is or what the man does. He said, but I trust him because he's my friend, and I know what he's done for me. He said, so I want to put you in the hands of someone who cares.
4: He Mm -hmm. said, I want you
3: to go to University of Cincinnati. And I signed on the dotted line in his office, and he sent the paperwork in. Mm. And that was it. It was academic from that point on. I didn't have to worry about where I was going my senior year, and I had an outstanding year, you know, my senior year, but I didn't worry about anything. I I was already set for college, and and people was coming around trying to get me to – oh, you should come to Maryland. Oh, you should come to Oklahoma. Well, Raymond Tisdale is, you know, remember Raymond Tisdale? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember Raymond oh, yeah. Tisdale.
4: Mm-hmm. But,
3: you know, I was like, no, I said, I'm already signed. I'm good. And, and, so, that, and that was the end of that.
1: Yeah. And, and and Coach Cox and Coach Yates were a lot alike in, in in terms of the young people that played for them, teaching them life skills. So speak speak about – Coach Yates, uh, obviously, he passed away, and ironically, Coach Cox and Yates passed away very close to each other, as far as the yeah. time in which both of them passed away. Um, but, 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 speaker, you spoke a lot about Coach Cox. Speak about Coach Yates, as far as him as not not a basketball coach, but just as a person. Wow, it's stick to
3: itiveness, if that's a word. Um, mm-hmm. Coach Yates <laughs> stuck to everything um, that he set his mind and goal out to accomplish. He, you know, he pretty much. You know he accomplished it. He accomplished it. He, he really, he he really had a fire and passion that transformed into um, how we started developing as as players on the court. Even during during his you know one year tenure that I played up under him, you know it was it was a very encouraging, a very learning experience. You know he, he taught me that he really he truly he truly cared. I mean when it was mm-hmm. time to to eat and you didn't have anything to eat, Coach Yates would find a way. Yeah. For you to eat, you know, also would find a way for you to get around on campus, however he could do within the rules. He was mm-hmm. a stand up he was a stand up guy. He wasn't gonna go up above and in, in the and outside of the rules of, of the, the game of the NC two A. And I and I think that, you know, for the most of his career that he played, he always wanted to do and give his best.
4: Mm-hmm. And he wanted
3: that and he wanted that from you and you could tell. You can, right. I mean, I've got maybe a dozen pictures with Coach Yates, and in every picture that I have with Coach Yates, he's in instruction mode.
4: He's either showing me
3: something what to do, or he's yelling at me something to do, and he's telling me. Something <laughs> something. I don't have teaching. any. I don't have any casual pictures with Yates where we just sitting down and he's sitting next to me, quiet. He's always he's always the, the 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 big dog on the yard with his mouth wide open, and your ears are right next to his mouth.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: that's my relationship with coach jake it was always this Lavertis. you're gaining too much weight you're not going to be able to jump you're not going to be able to get up and down the court you better start getting back in the gym you better do this you better learn how to shoot your mid-range shot Lavertis. you better get bend your knees when you're dribbling the basketball
4: Lavertis. you need to <laughs> learn how to
3: block out and get that re- man i can i can recall everything coach jay said to me like it was yesterday
4: mm-hmm.
3: and and he you know, he was he was a passion. i never forget our game against Loyola where we lost by one point.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I thought we were going to have to take him out of the ambulance.
4: Really? You we know, had
3: a flashback of the 62 championship game where they lost by one point
4: to
1: oh, Loyola. yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: So he had a flashback, and, and we didn't understand it, but after that game, you best believe everybody in that doggone locker room understood it.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And and he, I mean, he went on a tirade that that that's going to stand for the for the for the ages.
4: And, and mm-hmm. as as the players who heard
3: him and, and saw him, you saw him for the first and only time out of character. Mm-hmm. Because he had that much passion, and he was reliving closing a, a milestone that he did not achieve. He felt yep. like he could close it through us. Yep. And we we walked in there and gave the game away
4: mm-hmm. when we
3: had the game the whole time, and it wasn't until the last 60 seconds, his whole life played out again in front of his eyes. Mm -hmm. The last seconds of the game, we're up by one, and they get a basket and win by one. Mm. (laughs) So that was the same thing happening to him in the 62 or 64 championship against Loyola, national champion, which is a a national champion. So, I mean, you can't. You, you never really know about those accolades or about Gates. Gates um, was an incredible, incredible, extraordinary individual
2: who mm-hmm. was ahead
3: of his time when it came to being a gentleman, who came to not conforming into what people thought that African American men were. Gates mm-hmm. was ahead of his time.
1: Yeah, for sure. He
3: was ahead of his time. He he wasn't no yes man. Yes, I'm going to do this. He did it the way that he thought that was right, and he stuck with it, and he lived by it.
1: And and kudos to the university at that time for hiring not only a former player but also an African American coach. Yes,
3: yes.
4: Which, I was recruited by
3: Ed Badger as well too.
4: Okay. <laughs> yeah.
3: Wow. Yep. Right before so, you,
4: yeah. that tells
3: you something, you know, that I mean, you know, um you know, and just just to, to to kind of sum it up with Coach Yates what it what it meant um for me. I had a father figure on campus.
4: Mm-hmm, Yep.
3: Flee these girls. Uh. Uh. Flee. You know this, this. 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 You're doing this. You're doing that. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. There was always somebody in my ear. Now we're supposed to be young men on campus, but he understood that I was a young child on campus,
4: mm-hmm. and
3: somebody had to take direction. Most coaches, you don't get that from most coaches. Yeah. This was a head coach who every evening we had to check in before bedtime. With him
4: <laughs> that's and then we,
3: and rare. then, on top of that, after we check in, his assistant coaches are in the dorm room waiting for us to get back to make sure we make it to our home., mm-hmm. so the man looked out to make sure that there was there was not going to be these issues, and he didn't want those types that negative stuff in the program. He wanted a clean program, he wanted to make sure that he was following the rules, he was a stand up guy, he spoke his mind so I had I had to give it up to him. I had to respect him. It took me a while to really understand as I got older to understood what he meant to the university. A black African African American coach, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and you know, he's running a pretty good program, just doesn't have the players and doesn't have the support yet of the game that he's trying to run. You know, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I, I just I just really, you know, when when he left, a lot of people took it the wrong way, you know, because when he when he left, or when he was released from from the university, everybody thought that I was supposed to transfer.
1: Yeah, how said, did well, you feel about that? Yeah,
3: you know, I, I felt that I was losing a mentor, but mm-hmm. also my character was I'm not here for that. You know, Coach Jay has has his journey. I, I'm here to get an education. I'm not going anywhere,
4: mm-hmm. and that's
3: that's how I that's how I said it. That's how I meant it. And that's how it was. You know, and I, I didn't want – you know, there was nothing that I could do as a player to bring him, you know, back to being a coach other than start – you know, we could have started this whole thing of transferring and break, dismantling the team, but that wasn't going to stop no show. You know that.
1: Right. So and, 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 we, and how was it that, you know, you, you go from this father figure who's let go, and then the university's talking about bringing in this Bobby Knight-type coach who's, you know, I, I, yelling I, I, a yelling screamer. How'd that come across <laughs> for you.
4: I,
3: I knew – I knew you were going to do that. So, <laughs> so let, let me let me let me say this: um, I have nothing but respect for for Huggins,
4: uh-huh. and, and
3: I I fought for him. You know, anything I say about him is going to be on the inside between Bearcats. Uh-huh.
2: I'm not going
3: to say anything on the outside if it was bad. If, if it was bad, I'm saying it around Bearcats, and I'm going to make no qualms about that. I'm not going to hide that. Uh-huh. Um, but can't nobody else talk about it? Not in front of me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you that right now. Now, that was the camaraderie that Coach, Coach Huggins built. He actually, mm-hmm. when he came in, we actually had a meeting with him, a press conference with him, where he allowed us to speak. And then mm-hmm. after that press conference with him, he allowed us to come up to the, the office and speak with him as well.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And one of the things that I, I said to him is I had an opportunity to play for Bobby Knight, and I didn't go. And, you know, so... What makes you think if, if you do have this philosophy, if you do have this philosophy, then you know, then I don't I'm not gonna be able to play for you because I, I didn't I didn't go to I didn't go play in the i I'm here at University of Cincinnati where I've been taught a different way and I've mm-hmm. been coached a different way. So but when I got just just to give you a brief you know history, when I got the coach to his office, he said, Lavertis, he said, I idealize Bobby Knight. He said, but we're still two different people. He said, I'm different from Bobby Knight. He said, I'm not a Bobby Knight. He said, I'm not going to do the same thing Bobby Knight do. He said, but I got a passion for the game. Uh And he says, I I see where we can use you and where you'll be, you know, very instrumental in the success of this team. And he said, I don't want to see anything happen, you know, to where you decide that you want to leave or do anything else.
4: Uh
3: The first challenge to that was he sent John Lawyer, a a former, I guess a college student of his, who was one of his part-time assistant coaches. He sends him down to the floor, and he says, um, y'all need to get upstairs to the office right now. Coach is looking for you. So we turned around, and we looked at him, and we kept on playing.
4: Uh-huh.
3: So we done already had this talk about, you know, <laughs> we don't need Bobby Knight, and now here uh-huh. you go with these type of tactics. Uh-huh. So John Lawyer is still there barking in our ear, yap yep, 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 yap. You know, we still playing basketball.
4: <laughs> so eventually,
3: John Lawyer disappears, and guess who comes down?
4: Hugs.
3: Hugs come down. Hey guys, mm-hmm. come on up. Let's come on up. Let's. We need. I need to talk to y'all real quick. So we say, okay. Now here's a mutual respect that's coming, and and we go upstairs. We we sit down in his office. We talk a little bit. He talks about what his what his desires are. What we should be doing. You know, fundamentally, he makes Lou Banks a captain, makes me a co-captain, makes Dre a captain, and we you know we go from there. You know, we mm-hmm. start building. I'm gonna tell you one story real quick about yeah I mean, about hugs. I'm running. You know, we had to do twenties, of course. Uh-huh. So I'm running my twenties, and I'm, I'm knocking them out. And then all of a sudden, I hear this: "You ain't nothing but
4: dog shit." <laughs>
3: and I'm turning around, looking like, "Who the hell is he talking to?" I'm leading the pack, running twenties. I'm I'm in front of everybody. You you horse. Horse shit, chicken shit, a bitch. Get the f out of my get the f out of my effing gym, LaVerdes. You don't want to come here to and play, then get the f out of here. And I'm like, who is this man talking to? <laughs> so I turn around, and look. He walks up to me. He's ready to fight. Get the fuck out of my gym. I told you, Harrison. You better get his ass in the locker room. I'm gonna I'm gonna kick his ass. And I'm like, <laughs> this
4: is good. I'm like, this is good.
3: I'm like, what the hell? So I go in the locker room. I sit down. I'm putting on, I'm taking my shoes off. And here he be he busting to the locker room. So now I stand up. I stand up and I say, Coach, if you don't get your ass out of here, man, I'm a I'm, I'm, hey man. I said I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he said, you're playing like. He said you're out here practicing like dog shit. You're you, you, you're nothing. He was getting me motivated. Me you. Mm-hmm. He was motivating the yep. hell out of me. Why was he motivating me? Because I'm out here leading, he knows that I'm not the fastest guy on the team. Everybody else is lagging, and I'm being a, a, a prima donna, not telling everybody else, "Let's go." Mm-hmm. So here's where here's where I said I can say what I want to say about her, but can't nobody else say about it about. Here's where it changed. I said, Coach, you know what? You're right. He said, So get your mfing back on, back out on the floor. I said, Coach, let me just say one thing to you. I said, If I wasn't doing that. You're my coach. Why didn't you just say that? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me, get the fuck back out on the floor. So we had a dynamic. You know, it was a dynamic that came that I understood more so. It, I didn't care about the fire and because I know that he wanted the best out of you and he wanted the best for the program.
2: Mm-hmm. So I didn't
3: care about all that stuff. And I and I, until this day, the person who really taught me how to be that in-between guy the best was was Coach Hugs, man hmm Coach Hug was the person that developed and cultivated what I was gonna be. He would say, Okay, we are in Kentucky. You can really kill these motherfuckers And I'd be like, Coach, what you what are you talking about? You heard what I said. We you gonna kill these motherfuckers. And I mm-hmm. what was the what was the big kid, the all American on uh, the uh, gosh, I just mentioned his name a few weeks ago because nobody knows the outstanding players that came out as freshmen in, in you know, from Kentucky and several other places. Um
1: That uh, but,
3: uh... Played, so played like for Dallas. Year you guys played them. Yeah, played. We played them two years. I played against Rex Chapman and several others. But the year after that, we played against them. They had the kid that played in Dallas. Um, gosh, I cannot remember his name.
1: Played it. Uh, Jamal Mashburn.
3: Jamal Mashburn. Yes. Outstanding. Yep. Yes. So they yep. said. I mean, you know, Hug said. Lavertis, getting. I frustrated the hell out of, but stole the ball from him a couple times. You know, and and whenever we needed another basket, he would come to me and say, "Get him." You know, mm-hmm. I, I think we ended up losing Kentucky by one or two at home or something like that. But it was it was a well planned, well fought out game, and we got our butts chewed out. But we did compete that night. Yep. You know, and that was that was very memorable um, um, for me because that was the kind of the the, the interactions that we had leading up to those to those big games that we were going to play. Those were the interactions that you would see this crazy person. But then he would, you would start, <laughs> then you would start identifying with this crazy person, like this man. This man here, yeah, yeah. he wants to win, and and you know I, I think that for every one of his players, he had a genuine and affectionate love, you know, an affinity for.
1: Yeah, no, no question.
3: So you know, I, I you know everybody could say anything they want to say about this man was a human being. He made mistakes just like anybody else, but don't say it around me. I mean mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember part I, I remember part of the interruption did a story on on Universe Cincinnati and, and I was listening to it, and they was talking about all the players who wasn't graduating and wasn't doing this and you know and i and i had to I had to sideway you know i had to I had to really jump in there man i, I gave them like four or five paragraphs and and some of them may have been broken sentences because I was pissed off mm-hmm. I'm like you you're taking your time to talk about the players that didn't graduate who were going on to NBA careers, but you're not talking about the ones that did.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And that's wrong. So don't yep. pin that on the man because they didn't get their degree because Danny Fortson is a is a two-time NBA all-star and all-time scoring leader for the University of Cincinnati and has a promising NBA career. Kenyon Martin, promising NBA career. DeMar Johnson, promising NBA career. Kenny Satterfield, promising NBA career. You're talking about all the players who are going and they're gifted, and they're going directly to the NBA from college. Yep. Antonio Wingfield, 6'8". Come on, man. Right. These guys have an opportunity to better them li- their lives, and they can do it just like any other former NBA player who came back and decided they wanted to get their degree. Mm-hmm. So stop holding Huggs accountable for that when he gives every opportunity and every chance for his players, which y'all don't know, to earn their degree.
1: Yep, true.
3: Before I left and went to university, before I left and went to to Europe, he called me in his office, and we had a very serious conversation. He said, "Laverne, I would like for you to stay and get your finish your degree." I said, "Coach, I only got six hours." He said, "Yeah, so what's the what's the hurry?" I said, "Coach, I want to see what I can do on this next level. I'm gonna sign this, this this European contract, and I'm gonna go there and see what I can do." I said, "Well, anyway, I said, what if I do stay here? Can you can you give me a job making this much money?" No, I can't do that. I said, "Okay, then I'll see you when I you know when I when I finish playing."
4: Yeah, yeah but, for sure. He,
3: he still stayed in touch with me and I came back periodically throughout the summers and I was able to work towards, you know, getting my bachelor's degree,
4: which is uh-huh. up to me in ninety
3: four ninety five, 95. I believe I finished and, and achieved that. And I went back and played two more years in Europe and then I came back home and it was, you know, my career was done.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So I, I, you know, I, I can only say, I can say negative things about Huggins, but why? Because all of the negatives turned into positives for me. Yeah. It, it taught me how to persevere, taught me how to, to, you know, stand fast on anything that I was doing. It taught me how not to, to take shit from people.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was his.
3: Pers- that was his personality.
1: No question.
4: No so question.
3: You can't say nothing if, if you're not a bearcat. Keep your mouth closed. <laughs> I
4: love it. If you're a bearcat, if you're a, bear
3: cat, if you're a bear cat you can say you can say some things, and then I'm gonna come in with you. But then I'm gonna get back to the basis of what it really means to be a bearcat playing on a hook.
1: Yep. Yep. For sure. And 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 one thing with the, the transformation of the basketball program, um, you know, you look at Hugs's first year yes. and you you go from playing in front of three thousand seven hundred and fifty two fans at the gardens yes. to nine thousand two hundred and seventy three that first game at the yes. shoe. Yes. And,
4: and
1: and how how incredible was that for you as a player to go from you know, almost six thousand more people with eyes on you playing. It,
3: it was it was it was bittersweet, and I'll say it's bittersweet because the year when they started building the the facility, you know, um, Yates was our coach, and mm. something told me at that time that no matter what, um, they was not going to let this this man enter this new facility, and yeah. that it had it had to be someone you know of different descent that was going to be the head of this facility when it was open. Mm-hmm. That's the sad part about you know the aspects of it, um, but the the the
1: decorum
3: of of, of being able to play in the facility now that was on campus was outstanding. Yeah, you, you now you now see what you've been seeing on television with all the other programs with with signage and and, and Robinson's Corner and and you know Mr. Robinson's neighborhood. You know I still mm-hmm. love that. Uh-huh. I, I love that you know. I used to look up there and it'd be like, "Mr. The whole corner, the whole section. This is Mr. Robinson's neighborhood." Uh-huh. And, You know, and I, I would love you know watching the thing. So the the atmosphere changed so great that it it only enhanced the program. And and, and you, you we we saw the the fans just just wow. You saw the whole tr- you you saw the whole campus transform. Yeah, for sure. When, when Huggins got there, you saw different areas being developed, different buildings going up. You saw a commitment to. To, to helping kids, a commitment to bringing in, you know, um students that couldn't really afford the pro- you, you just saw a, co- a whole total commitment um to the program. Some things that go unheard, you saw happening. And it, it was it was a it was a great experience. Like I said, it was a bittersweet experience, but it was it was pretty great, you know. Um to have that and to be in that facility for 2 years was like wow, you know. It was just a really a wild moment for me because now we can leave our stadium or practice and then go right to our dorms. <laughs>
1: right to the dorms. Game yes. changer.
4: Yeah. Wow.
1: Now, now, you know, if you look at from, you know, the time Huggins took over the program till now, one of the biggest games in UC history is the game versus Minnesota. Um, wow. Wow. You know, and so I've asked, I, I, I've talked to several players, Lou Banks, Andre Tate about that last play and what it was like in that huddle. And I wanted to get different perspectives. You know, Lou talked about, you know, what what he was looking at, what he was supposed to do. Andre Tate was talking about the different options. He's taking the ball out of bounds and how important that pass to, you know, Steve was where it had to be um, from your perspective. Um, in that timeout, what did you hear? What was going through your mind? And then take us through that play from your perspective.
3: Oh wow! Um,
2: mm.
3: I, I believe that if I'm not mistaken, and I got, I, I, know, I know there was many different options to the play, and this this was the first time I ever saw Hugs unravelled.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> I'm serious. This was the first time he knew what he wanted. He was so unravelled. This was like his defining moment as a coach on the big, big scene, and he really came unravelled. Man, he was he was totally unravelled. He was babbling in this doggone huddle. Mm-hmm. I remember this because it was like, Coach, who, who do you want to shoot the ball? Who, who's going to get? You know, who's taking? Dre's taking the ball out. The option was, I think it was, um, I'm to pop out to the top of the top of the circle. Chief was supposed to go back door or something like that, and 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 Dre was supposed to inbound the ball and cut to the basket, and was, the lob was supposed to come to me, or I was supposed to pop. Mm-hmm. Out. I don't, I can't remember exactly how the dynamics went, but somehow Steve Sanders got the ball with zero point six seconds or zero point eight seconds on the clock.
1: Yep, point and,
3: eight. and sink that shot, you yep.
1: know. So
3: it was it was so surreal that when. It seemed like it was more than than point six seconds on the clock. It seemed like it was more more so like ten ten to fifteen seconds on the clock because everything just stopped.
1: Yeah, slow motion. And then, he, sure. and then when
3: you then you, when you saw the ball go into the basket, you're like, "We just won this thing in in, in, in the opening <laughs> of our facility.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Wow! Against yep. Minnesota, a top you know a Big Ten a Big Ten team ranked mm-hmm. two a second in the Big Ten at the time. We just beat them in. You know, in our in our facility,
1: mm-hmm. it was it
3: was so surreal because I I believe it was me who was supposed to get the last shot.
1: You were actually you were open as I remember you were at the free throw line, um, as the play was developing, and you and Keith Starks kind of bumped into each other a little bit, and then sure. Keith Keith popped out, and you were actually open for the lob. Right, he could right take could have easily threw it to you for that lob. Tip in that was one option, option that was there, and I think he had already looked away at that point.
4: Yep,
3: yep. So the play didn't it didn't develop, and we were we were struggling to you know. I actually didn't didn't think. I'm telling you, it was the first time I, was, I had seen him so flustered, man, and he was just it, it was crazy. And then we went back out there, and then a miracle happened, you know, and it, and it yep. started it 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 projected his career to keep going up, and it projected the program's career to keep climbing. And I think we went on a 22-7 and seven that year or something along the lines of that and didn't get the NCAA bid. I think we ended up getting um, knocked out of the box for Notre Dame. Um, I think Notre Dame won the Big East tournament and they got the automatic bid, which ended up knocking us out of an NCAA berth for the mm. first time. And Huggins, he fought like crazy. He screamed and yelled. He was on a Nike board and all this stuff.
4: And
3: he <laughs> cussed at people. He cussed at the selection committee. He just He made everybody mad. But then – the following year after that, they go to the Final Four. <laughs> All right.
1: and, you know, and here's, here's the thing, Bert. Like, I, I, I tell people, you guys, as we look at the Bearcat basketball program now and, and where it's at, the, the, you know, so much energy behind the, you know, basketball program, new arena, well, you know, redone arena. People are excited about that. They're excited about football. Right. UC Athletics. But I always tell people, and and I know we've got the national championships with 61 and 62, Oscar was great, Twyman, and so forth and so on. But Huggs' first team, with you on it, Lou, you guys were really, in my opinion, the, the jump start to all this stuff. As Nippert Stadium for football is packed, tailgating's crazy, We look at all these great things going. People remember, basketball, UC basketball was the thing in Cincinnati, and you guys jump-started all this. Yes,
3: and I I appreciate, you know, you saying that because I don't – I really don't think that we have received the credit that's due with, with, you know, from Andre Andre Tate and, and, you know, the the, the success that he had, Herbert coming in being a doggone shotgun to – I mean, it 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 was it was wild, man. I mean, when when Herb became an addition to the team,
4: mm-hmm. you know,
3: Herb couldn't run one one mess. He couldn't run one fucking play. Let me just be honest with you.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: but but let me tell you, let me tell you this: we had we had a dynamic scheme that Herb corner, and guess what? Herb worked on every day in the gym. A
1: mm-hmm.
3: corner three.
1: Yep. Yep. and he
3: shot it like he was a he was a pro at it, man. It, mm-hmm. we, we could never run a play for Herb. We had to change the whole we had to change the whole dynamic, man, because Herb didn't know he didn't like plays. Herb wanted to play, and yep. he was a game changer that came to UUC. And nobody has good. given him the credit. Nobody has given Herbert Jones the credit for coming to UC and propelling UC to that that that, that, that you know, that NC two A birth and, and 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 final four. That was Herb Jones, man. Herb was a was a mother student, man.
1: No question, and that's at six
3: foot four. That boy could play
1: for sure. And that's who I'm interviewing next week. So that's a great segue for next week too. Herb's going to be on the show. I agree love with him. you one hundred.
3: Love him. I love, look, I throw him a lob. He throw me a lob. I throw him a lob. He throw me a lob. We had that camaraderie worked out.
4: But mm-hmm. then the one
3: thing that Herb had was tunnel vision. Whenever he got behind that three point line. You don't worry about seeing it no more because it's
4: going <laughs> up. <laughs> don't worry about
3: seeing it no more because it's gone. It's gone, but yeah, man, Herb, Herb, I, I just, I just remember the dynamics that we had and the, and the players that we had and, and how Tate was just, you know, we we would roll, we were rolling over people, man. It, yeah. it, was, it was just incredible. We was going down beating Louisville so bad, it was ridiculous, and we yeah. wasn't even, we wasn't getting the just desserts from that. We were mm. beating Louisville with Purvis Allison.
1: Yeah, they were number eight in the country. You guys and go LeBras to Yeah, for sure. You guys go to Freedom Hall and beat them.
3: Yeah, we we were beating them, and it's like wow. And then we're going down here to you know we're playing against um, nemesis and, and Tulane and, and and Virginia Tech, and we're we're beating them too.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And these were all you know these were all powerhouse teams, and it's like okay, wow. We're beating them, and we're not getting the notoriety. I mean, we come back to the campus, and it's like, okay, well, the Bearcats are back, but nobody really saw that, how the program had changed and how, you know, Hugs and, and, and the guys that he had there with Banks, myself, and, and Andre, and then after that, Herb, you know, and, man, man we just, you know, we, we really put the fear. I got to tell you this one story. I know we we getting a little bit off, but we were in, um, I believe it was a Virginia Tech. And we were set to play Virginia Tech, and I think Anthony Buford was sitting out at the time. He wasn't ready to play yet, but he was still practicing with us sometimes.
4: Uh-huh.
3: So Virginia Tech, you know, their their AD comes down, and he says, hey, guys, uh, I've been watching y'all practice, and we're going to have to move y'all. Y'all can't practice here no more. So Hugs is cussing the man out, you know. And, and, and he's cussing the man like, if you don't get the F-I-, He's like, well, Hugs, he said, I- I'm just saying this. He said, man, these are our brand-new chairs, and y'all tearing them up. We were breaking chairs, tearing up the scores table, tearing up everything before the game. And and what? you know it's like, yeah, yeah. This is this is a story that's untold about the Bearcats. When we ran that, when we ran the Bearcat trap, you can forget it, buddy. You ain't getting out of it. Ask Duke. And mm-hmm. uh, you know we 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 come in there, we practice. So when we instrumented that, we created fear amongst teams and coaches. That damn when Luggers come and he runs this Bearcat trap and these guys are built like football players, yep. L Burton and, and you know man, yeah, yeah we. I mean I can just go on and on and on about how you know we kind of charged the the you know the future of the Bearcats to come in and play because teams feared us.
4: Yep. They didn't want to
3: play against us. ADs didn't want us to even practice in their gym. They started putting getting, putting us in the old facilities while we practiced because they didn't want to stand up everything. <laughs> No lie, man. That's the truth. We would we would come into a, a stadium and we would look. We would diving over chairs just like it was a game, stepping mm-hmm. on chairs, breaking them, breaking them down, breaking up the scores table, crashing into them, saving loose balls, running the bearcat trap, getting getting into our fights and squabbles and everything, man. So we we practiced like we were playing a, a game, and teams um, feared us for that.
1: Yeah, they, no shit. question, no question. I, and I've I said this: you guys deserve way more credit. Than what you guys get, and and I think, I think you see, and I, I think they're gonna do this moving forward. But they've got to do a better job of um, bringing you guys back, highlighting you guys, and making sure the fans understand a lot of this stuff that you know we have now at the university is a result of the sweat equity that you guys put in. Like you say, the story about Virginia Tech, a lot right. of that is the reason we have the things we have now at the university. Right. That's right. Um, I'm speaking of that um, with, with with fans getting a better understanding. Um, I went on to Twitter and I asked, uh, you know, I said, "Hey, somebody on Twitter, give me a question that I could ask Levert Robinson uh, during our interview." And so um, I got a Twitter Twitter question for you from uh, Justin. Uh, I believe you say Wander is his last name. He wants to know what is your best memory playing for the Bearcats.
3: Wow, my best memory playing for the Bearcats is um there there was a a a guy and I'm sorry if I can't recall his name but he actually wanted to be me and and this was a Caucasian kid, a white kid who wanted to be me. Really? Black kid. Yeah and and, <laughs> and, and, and 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 I gotta I gotta share this with you because I fast forward years later into the future, and this same kid, um, he, he's now an adult and he's married and he has kids of his own, and he's named him Lavertis. And not no. only did he name him Lavertis, he actually, on his birthday, he was so crazy and wanted to be me so bad that his mother bought him a birthday cake saying, Happy birthday, Lavertis.
4: <laughs> this is that, wild.
3: Look, wild. That hey. floored me, man. I didn't know that, that even existed. Assisted me. This kid and I and and the one time I met this kid when I played at, at university, all I did was I, I believe I either put a hat on his head or or shook his hand or something and, and gave him a hug and I walked off the court, and that stuck with this guy for forever, man. And I, and you know and just to I can only say that because it impacted me so greatly. This was only a few years ago when I found out that that's how it impacted this guy, you know, and and to see that on his birthday. They didn't want him to call him by his birth name. He wanted him to call him him LaVertis. His name was LaVertis.
4: That's amazing. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that
3: that that left you know, more than any other impression that took place during my career yeah. like the Rally Cats and 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 those guys um really were instrumental in really amping up the the field of play for everybody, but
4: mm-hmm. that
3: right there, that testimony right there and the last thing that I, I will say that, that um, I would have to speak on is when we got a chance to go to the Shriners and meet some of the kids that were going through grave illnesses and, and um, you know, cancer. Um, that man, yeah. you talk about a guy coming up out of there crying, man. I, I, I couldn't hold it together.
2: Yeah, I can't even hold it
3: together now, to be honest with you. Just just to see these kids and, and to go in and, and some of these kids are watching our games and to see how they, they see me and, and Lewis and, and they're, they're like, we're their favorite players, and it impacts. And you see a smile on their face, and the next week you find out they're passing. That left an impact on us, man. Oh, you know, so for sure. it, it was, it was, it was some things that we did that that um wow. So those are lasting memories that I that I have. You know, being a Bearcat and um, yeah,
1: that's good stuff. That's, oh, great, yeah. that's great stuff. Um, and and one of the last things I do on the podcast here, and this has been a great interview so far. Uh, one of the last things I do, I could do quick questions, quick answers with every guest I have on here. So, you ready? Wow. Ready. All right, here we go. So, we got quick questions, quick answers with LaVertis Robinson. Number one, what NBA player, and it could be present, could be past, what NBA player would you say has a similar game to yours for the Bearcats Bias. Limbias. Never made it to not, the
3: NBA, but, he, you know, he was an NBA first-rounder. Um, Lynn Bias would have been the closest thing to what I played like um, than any other player that I've seen.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, what a tragic story, too. I mean, there yes. plenty of documentaries on that and his passing. Um, yeah, it would, have, it would have been great to see what would happen to him in the league with, with yes. his strength, versatility, doing – I always tell people he was doing LeBron-type things back then. That's right.
4: That's right.
1: That's
4: right. That's right.
1: Um, Number two, all right, one of my favorite questions. So I want to take you back. So let's look at uh, your senior year, right? Your senior year, you're getting ready to play Kentucky, right? One of the big games on the schedule, Get ready to play Kentucky. What is your go-to pump-up song before the game? Who were you listening to back then that would get you pumped up?
3: Wow, that's not a quick (laughs) question. You know, um, oh my gosh. Um, I I believe I was listening to KRS One, The Bridge is Over.
1: Ooh, The Bridge is Over. The Bridge is Over.
3: That's it. Nice. That's that's what I would listen to. I, I would get pumped up off that song because I really like, you know, hip-hop during that time, and that, that's exactly what I was
1: listening to. Good, good answer. One of my favorites for sure. Um, number three, your favorite dunk of all time in your career.
3: Wow. Man, so many. Um, I was on a fast break. I think it was against Illinois State, and Andre Tate fed me a pass, and I went up and, and – before I even came down, I had already dunked the ball, and I was still going up.
4: Mm. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I dunked it, and I dunked it so quick. I dunked it so quick. I got to my height, and bam! But I was still going up, and I had already dunked the ball. And you know, it was it was just so surreal during that time. And I, I looked back; I had a, a video of that play. And I was like, "Dang, that was crazy."
4: Yeah, but that, that was and my
3: I, favorite dunk. And I
1: wish but, I wish we had more footage of you know. Your guys' time so people could see some of the dunk you had and some of the, the amazing plays. We don't have my, enough of that.
3: My second favorite was um Pervis Ellison backwards. Mm. at Freedom Hall.
4: and, he and loved it. I had, you loved it backwards dunk.
3: I, I loved it. I mean and my third favorite would be over Tyrone Hill and then Derek Strong um at the Gardens where I dumped on both of them backwards up out of the crowd. So
4: you know. That would
3: yeah, that that would be yeah, that would be that would be some some of the the best, you know. And they was like, "Man, he was in there for 3 seconds." I said, "Don't no matter.
4: I still did it." <laughs> hey,
1: anytime you dunk on Xavier's, good with me. Yes, I love it. Yes. And my last and final question, okay? During your Bearcat career, all right, if you could pick one guy that you played with during your Bearcat career, that you would take with you to go to battle, got to go to battle, you could take one person with you by your side, what teammate would it be? Woo! Man,
3: I had so many, man. Golly. You know, the way way we practiced, I felt like every last one of them would go to battle with me. But Mm -hmm. if I had to to pick one that was my, my teammate, um, I'm going to have to go with Lou Banks.
4: Mm,
1: that's what Tate said. That's
3: I'm gonna legal. have to go with Lou Banks.
1: Mm.
3: I got to. Yeah. Because it, me and Lou was in some situations where, um, I could I could see where he was getting bullied, so to speak, and I would shut that down. And then he would see some areas where I was getting double teamed or or. Um, you know, just just kinda like the the game was focused around me most of the time. And that's mm-hmm. what a lot of people didn't 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 notice, that they would say we're gonna stop this fool because this fool can get rebounds, he can get stick backs, and he can he can get into a he can get into a rhythm. So if we break his rhythm, then we got a chance of winning the game.
4: Mm-hmm. And that's
3: what most teams would do. They would focus on me and they would they would try to shut me down. So I would get I would be one like, Why in the hell am I getting double teamed? I'm not even trying to shoot. I thought they would be double teaming Lou,
2: <laughs> right, but, right.
3: but but right. Lou would Lou would see that in some games, and he would he would start hitting me with quick passes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Whenever you got a chance to hit me with one, so I, I think that every time if if I had to go into a battle, I would always um, I would call Lou.
1: Sweet Lou, Yep. Sweet, Sweet Lou. Man. Now, um, have you been back to U C in a while?
3: I haven't been back to UC since 2014. I came okay. up, um, you know, and that was the last time that I've been back, you know. Right. And I, I would love to, to really, you know, uh, do some things with the university, come back and actually extend my education. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of things that I, that I I wanted to do. But I, that, I guess that's, you know, Terry Nelson was doing some reach-out stuff, and then there was another yep. group that was doing some reach-out things. But I don't think that they're really consistent with that enough in having planning to where – you really have an organization or an organized form where people can actually come to, and and take you in a game or do you know do some things. I think you have to be a part of UCATS club or something. But yeah, I think they need to probably bring you know um, some of the old heads back because we've got a lot to offer to the program.
1: I think so, and I've I've mentioned this before to Coach Brandon, and he's all about it. I mean, he he wants former former guys coming back, and and I, I think you know like. Some of the things that you said just during this podcast are great things for the players currently to have, to hear, and, and take with them, and to to have that what I call hammy down knowledge.
4: Yes. So yes.
1: To to invite you back to a practice first and foremost to talk to the the new guys, and then and I I think the the university could do a better job of this, and that is inviting you guys to games and 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 during a timeout halftime come out to half court and, and say what's up, wave wave your hand. Um uh, so that they, that these fans can can, you know, show the appreciation and I I think you guys deserve it for sure. All the sweat equity that was put in. <clears throat> so trust me I've 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 been some years over there and people are definitely were very uh, receptive of it. So I, I I could see that happening. So we gotta get you back to a game. Hopefully this pandemic gets over with here very soon and, and yes, we sir. Get back to some sort yes, of normal sir. Craziness, right?
3: Yes, yes. And and let me just add one last thing, you know, I I I appreciate and, and, and I'm honored that what you are doing um is a blessing um to all of us. You're keeping the eyes and in, in the spotlight on things that have really um enhanced the, the university and the lifestyle of, of many different people.
1: You you've Thank committed
3: you. your life in, in your you're a consummate pro when it comes to anything that you put your hands on. I I followed you just as much as you followed us. And oh. and I've seen the things that you've done. And I'm gonna tell you something, man. You know, you're my new idol, buddy.
4: Oh, because man. because
3: you're doing some you're doing some dynamic stuff out here, man, that we can't get. Even myself, I find myself getting trapped up in the fact that to see what you're doing, and I'm saying I want to do it, but guess what Meet you doing it.
4: Well, and, and and man. I I that can only say
3: kudos to you, brother, and just keep it going, man, because you are you are the the next true leader that's coming out of that state, man. I'm gonna tell you that right now.
1: Wow, there's, there's nobody
3: else that I see that can do a job the way you're doing, and you can reach multiple verses, brother. If you know what I mean.
4: Yes. So yes, I do. Man. Yes. 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 So keep yes. doing what you're doing,
3: man. I'm, I'm I'm in your corner, whatever. If you need me for anything? Just to be the peon, man, I'm there to be the peon, man. I'll be the pod. I'll, look, I'll be the pod. I'll be the I'll be the I'll be the rook. If you need me to move, I'll be the bishop. It don't matter. You know, I'm a I'm a, I'm a deacon in my church, so hey. Yeah.
1: No, I, listen. I'm, I'm with I, you. That means a lot to me because growing up, you know, I you know how much I idolized all you guys and, and seeing and watching you play and. Um, to, to then hear you say that about what I'm doing, it definitely, definitely means a lot, man. I really, really appreciate that. And when I come to Chicago, I got to make a trip to Chicago. We are definitely yes. connecting up, for sure. Come
3: on out, man. Come on out. I'll send you my address. I'll text you all that stuff, man. I got your number, I'll, I'll text you the stuff. You're welcome, man, to come on out to the crib, you know, chilling. You know, once we get done with this pandemic, I'm just praying that, you know, we, we'll get a break in here somewhere and then, you know, this, after this election year, everything probably clears up, and then we need to come together as a family once again. And, and no I can't question. wait to see it happen,
2: man.
0: No question. I want to thank everybody for listening to our special episode, our interview series of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. And once again, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. Also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham, on Snapchat at BigMeach41, and soon to be on TikTok. I appreciate everybody listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats!